we are going to spend the, our morning looking at a, uh, a series that I, I call Heralded by Angels. There's a lot of encounters with angels surrounding uh, our cele- celebration of the Advent of Christ, Christmas time. And so we're going to look at some of those uh, encounters and how they affected the people that were involved and some of the lessons that we can learn uh, from those things. And so we will be in Luke chapter 1 this morning. Christmas is a unique and a special time of year. We know the songs, even though we only have so long to sing the songs. God forbid we sing a Christmas song some other time of the year, right? We have songs filled with references to Mary and the baby, uh, the shepherds, the sheep, the manger. Uh, We lump the wise men in with all of that, not because they showed up on that first Christmas night, but rather they were drawn to uh, Jerusalem and eventually to Bethlehem because of the birth of Christ. So don't give me grief about the nativity in the back, okay? What you don't know about those wise men is they have been traveling from closet to closet to closet, and they have finally arrived there in Bethlehem. So, <laughs> all right, so this is a Christmas season in which we, we commemorate all these things that we have in the birth of Christ the shepherds, the angels, the wise men, all of that. We commemorate all of that in just one month, okay? Uh, so, Uh, The story of Christmas is wonderful in that it is the fulfillment of God's age-old promise to send a Savior to provide the remedy for the sin of all mankind. Think about this. Immediately after, even as uh, Dale mentioned in passing as he uh, read the passage, even after Adam and Eve rebelled, against the clear and straightforward command of God, as soon as they fell into sin and brought sin's curse and its consequences crashing down on all creation, immediately God met them with the promise of a Savior. And since that day, the world has been waiting for that Savior. And Christmas time is God's answered promise that He would send the Savior, Jesus Christ, for the sins of all mankind. So from the very first book, of Genesis to the last book of the Old Testament of Malachi, God expands on that promise and gives more information on that promise. Prophecy after prophecy are given regarding the Messiah that would come. And hundreds of predictions are written down in God's book in black and white so that God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, would be able to recognize their Messiah when He finally came. And then with the Uh, the book of Malachi, the voice of God ceases. We have a gap of 400 years there. Uh, There's no more word from the Lord. The light of God's revelation had gone out for a time. There was no prophecy. There were no prophets. And then suddenly, like the dawn of a brand new day, light broke forth once again, and we have the advent of Christ. It reminds me of what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 9, verse 2, that the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. So, God's revelation breaks forth into the world once again, this time in human flesh, as the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He sent His Son, born of a virgin, a virgin, God in the flesh, and the silence was officially broken. And it's interesting we find in the Gospel of Luke that the silence was broken with the voice of an angel. 
with the voice of an angel. So this Christmas season, we're going to look at several different passages where angels uh, show up. And the first two we'll cover together this morning are found in Luke chapter 1. So it's a bit of a lengthy passage, but it's a narrative. So follow along as we read the account here of two encounters with an angel in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zecharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season." And the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my approach among men, my reproach among men. Verse 26 then says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. 
And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. Two different births are proclaimed by this herald angel, if you will, Gabriel, to two different individuals. And so we're going to divide the passage into two parts and compare those two accounts because Zechariah and Mary react to the proclamation of the angel differently. And there's some lessons we can learn from that. When God confronts you and I with an impossibility that He desires to work through and in us, how do we respond to Him? Do we respond in skepticism or in submission? Can you really say, as Mary did, be it unto me according to thy word? So notice, first of all, this morning, the birth of John the Baptist. The birth of John the Baptist. We'll break these two accounts down similarly, but notice, first of all, the parent. We're told of Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest in the temple. He was married to a woman who was descended from Aaron. That was a very good match. So it was great to be a priest. It was great to marry within your own tribe. But not only uh, was <clears throat> Zechariah of the priestly line, his wife was also in a priestly family too. So this was an excellent match, a very good match uh, between Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're also said by God in Scripture that they were blameless. They were blameless. These were spiritual people. These were godly people. But like many others that we find in the Scriptures, they were childless. They were childless. Can I just encourage you this morning? I don't know everybody's situation. But if you've ever desired to have children and haven't been able to, you are in good company. There are so many examples in Scripture of husbands and wives that were childless. Not only were they childless, they were getting old. Not only old, but the Bible says really old. How old were they? Old enough that it won't tell us their age anymore. They stopped sharing that information. And just in my study a little bit in this passage, just in passing, I found that for the Jew, well-stricken in years was considered like in your 80s. So I don't know if anyone's well-stricken around here. But you were considered aged when you got into your 60s. You were considered, you know, up in years when you got into your 70s. And if you were in your 80s, you were stricken in years. <laughs> so it was all downhill from there. So it, we don't know for sure how old they really were, but could have been that they were in their 80s at this point. So the parent is Zacharias, the place, the place here. Zacharias is there at the temple. He's a priest in the temple, and it was his turn uh, to do the incense at that time. They would rotate these duties between all the priests. There were many priests, and they would rotate duties. They would have a certain time that you would come and you would perform your duties at the temple. And they even, as it says here in Luke, they would select certain duties by lot. And it was uh, Zechariah's turn to do the incense in the temple before the veil in the holy place. So he would take coals from the altar of sacrifice into, temple, into the temple, 
uh, either him or a helper that would come along with him would replace those coals. It was Zacharias's job to put the incense on the temple, uh, on the altar there of incense in the temple. That incense would then start to smolder and burn, and that whole uh, room would smell of that incense. And when he left that temple, he would also have the smell of that incense. Uh, embedded into his robe. So that was his job. He would go in there, place the incense on the fresh coals, and pray for the nation. The people outside also would be praying while the incense was being offered. And everything was going just fine for Zechariah, just a regular uh, regular time in the temple doing what he'd always done many times before. And he looks up, and for the very first time, there's somebody else in the room. He was supposed to be alone. And he looks up and there, standing there, is the angel Gabriel. And he was naturally afraid, startled. And the angel Gabriel had come to deliver a message to Zacharias. And so we have the proclamation. The place is the temple. He's inside the holy place, not the holy of holies that was beyond the veil. But inside the holy place there, Zacharias is the parent. And then the proclamation I love what Gabriel says. He says, your prayer is heard. Zechariah, your prayer is heard. The prayer for a son. What an announcement this was. Straight from the angel's mouth. Message received. God has heard your prayers. Wouldn't that be something? You know, I utilize technology in many ways. And one of my favorite features of the last, you know, five, ten years or so is read receipts on text messages. It used to be you never knew when somebody got your, your message, but now if you everything's set up right between you and that person, you can see, oh, they read it. Message received. Wouldn't it be something if an angel showed up and said, your prayers have been heard. We take it by faith that God hears and answers prayers, but Zechariah got it from the mouth of an angel. Your prayers have been heard, message received. Your wife is going to have a son, and you are going to call him John. John, by the way, means God's gracious gift. God's gracious gift. I found this interesting. The, the dawn of revelation here with the angel, the message that Zechariah gets for the first 400 years since Malachi is a message of grace. The message that Mary gets is, you are highly favored. God's grace is on you. Both times the angel gave a message of grace because Christ brought God's grace with him. And so, you will call him John, meaning God's gracious gift. And this will bring you and many others much joy. He shall be great in God's eyes. Uh, He'll be like a Nazarite. He won't Uh, partake of anything that came from the vine. So no wine, alcohol, anything like that because, the angel says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And we'll see an example of that uh, in a later message. He will turn many people back to God. He will be like Elijah. He will prepare the people for their Messiah. He'll make uh, ready for the coming Messiah. Of the Lord. So the proclamation is an incredible one. And then notice the plea. Zechariah's question mm, wasn't received very well, was it? 
It's because he asked the wrong one. Whereby shall I know, shall I know this? Like a good Jew, he sought for a sign, right? Show me a sign that this is going to happen. How am I going to know that this is all really going to take place? Zacharias's question betrayed his lack of faith. He doubted. And we see that in Gabriel's response. He saw the impossibility of the promise, and in that moment he forgot who was making the promise. And none of us struggle with that, right? No, it's natural for us. Even a godly man like Zacharias doubted the message of the angel. We, the problem we have is we are faced with a world every single day that is reliably unreliable. Can I get that in writing? Right? Uh, we just, everywhere we turn, the world is unreliable. People are unreliable. We have all sorts of cliches. You know, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Or if it's going to go wrong, it probably will. We have all of these cliches that basically communicate that you just can't count on anything 100%. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. All of these things. The world is unreliable. And we allow our view of the world and our experience with the world to affect our view of our Heavenly Father. But He has no limits. He has no boundaries. And if He says that something is going to happen, it is. He spoke, let there be light, and there was. If He speaks, it's going to happen. He's the creator of the universe. He's the sustainer of all things. And every single promise that He has ever made, He has kept to the fullest. And so don't let your... Uh, just don't let your reaction to reality change your perspective of God. Zechariah said, okay, so how am I going to know this is really going to happen? And, a and Gabriel's reply was, he gave him a sign, but there was a penalty there. The penalty. Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. In questioning the message, Zecharias was questioning the messenger. Gabriel was sent from the presence of God to give this news, this good news to Zecharias. And so he says, you'll be given a sign, but the sign is that you're not going to be able to speak. Zecharias got exactly what he asked for. He got a sign. And from that moment on, he was speechless Gabriel says, until all of this would come to pass. And those of you that have uh, read ahead know that that was until the naming of John. He could not speak. Think about this, okay? I have some experience in this area. It takes at least nine months to have a baby. At least. And the Bible says that after this encounter, Zechariah finished his duties his season of duties. We don't know how long that was. Elizabeth wasn't even pregnant yet when Gabriel said, you're not going to be able to talk until all these things come to pass. So how long do you think Zechariah was dumb, was mute? Could have been even a year that the man went without speaking. None of you wives need to fantasize about this now. But for a whole year, possibly, Zechariah couldn't speak. The penalty, 
And then we're told about the pregnancy. Zechariah and Elizabeth followed in the footsteps of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Elkanah and Hannah. All of these were barren, but were granted children by the Lord. And they followed in those footsteps. Like I said, if you've ever been unable to have a child, you are in good company. And so just like it was impossible for Abraham and Sarah, God provided a son for Elizabeth, possibly in her 80s. We don't know for sure. And when Elizabeth realized she was pregnant, she isolated herself for five months. She knew the source of this pregnancy, and she glorified God in this pregnancy, and she isolated herself. And notice finally under this section, the point. The point. I don't want to be too hard on Zacharias because the Bible says that he was blameless before God. He was a man of faith. He and his wife were, were, were godly people of faith. But my question for all of us this morning is, are you limiting God's desire to do incredible things in and through you by your lack of faith? How many times did Jesus limit His ministry because the people He encountered did not believe? His own hometown could not see the wonders that other people saw. The Bible says He did not many miracles there because of their unbelief. They couldn't get, back, uh, couldn't get past the fact that isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this the carpenter? I mean, where did he learn these things? And they couldn't get past his background. And so because of their lack of faith, the Bible says he didn't do many miracles around those people. Does God have to get our attention with some uncomfortable consequences to deal with our lack of faith? Zacharias, you're not going to be able to talk for a year to prove to you that God is able to do these things. You know, it's one thing for us to say and to amen that God is the God of the impossible. It's a whole other thing to apply it to our bumpy, difficult lives. And sometimes, I believe, many times, we limit God's ability to work in us and through us because of our doubt and our lack of faith. Because we often try to figure things out and solve problems on our own instead of truly waiting on the Lord. Then notice, secondly, not only the birth of John the Baptist, but the birth of Jesus Christ. We don't have time to, to read this entire passage again, but we'll break it down in a similar way. We have, first of all, the parent. The timeline is given to us when Elizabeth is six months along in her pregnancy, Gabriel appears to a young woman by the name of Mary. She was a descendant of David. And she was engaged or betrothed to marry a man named Joseph. The betrothal period in this time was different. There was, according to what I've read so far, there, I'm sure there's many uh, different ways to describe this, but there were basically three stages of a marriage in that day. There was the, you know, you could use all different terms for this, but the selection of the parents, these two from you know, even childhood are promised to be married to one another. Then there's the betrothal period itself which, in which Mary and Joseph were in, which would be like a year of getting to know each other, could only be separated by a legal means of divorce, but they had not yet come together as husband and wife. And then after that would be the marriage itself. And so Mary and Joseph were in the middle there, they were 
on their way to being married, but they had not come together yet. But they were legally uh, promised to one another. The Bible says that she was a virgin. She had never been with a man before. She makes that very clear herself. But the word there means that. She was a virgin. And the angel's greeting startles and puzzles Mary at the very same time. She was being hailed by an angel. Hailed that are highly favored. He was proclaiming to her the favor that God had had bestowed upon her and the blessings that had come. She was a very special woman indeed. And this greeting puzzled her. What, What kind of greeting is this? And then notice the proclamation that she receives from the angel Gabriel. She would become pregnant and give birth to a son and would call his name Jesus, meaning Jehovah saves. He will be the Son of God and King of Kings. He's this promised one. He is the descendant that would come from David. This proclamation. And then notice her puzzlement. Her puzzlement. Her reply is different from Zacharias's reply. Zacharias's reply basically was, prove it. Mary's reply was, how? How is this going to happen? Not is it going to happen, but how is it going to happen? There's a difference there. She recognizes the impossibility of the situation, but yet she had faith that it would happen as Gabriel had said, and so she is basically just asking for more details. She understood Uh, how life worked. And so she asked, how is this going to happen? I'm not married. I don't don't have a husband uh, that I have a relationship with yet. How is this going to occur? And so Gabriel tells her that there won't be a man involved in this. That the Holy Spirit will come upon her and God's power will accomplish the, the conception without an earthly father. Joseph will have no part in this birth. And so then, the proof. She did not ask for a sign, but Gabriel gave her one. Gabriel gives some good news. He says, your cousin, your relative Elizabeth, is pregnant, by the way. She's six months along in her pregnancy. To strengthen Mary's faith, to prove uh, just the might of Almighty God, he tells her, the impossibility of Elizabeth and Zechariah having a baby is already six months along at this point. God is already working in your family. And this pregnancy would serve to further strengthen Mary's own faith and would also give Mary somewhere to go. Physical impossibilities mean absolutely nothing to an almighty God. They mean absolutely nothing to Him. And Elizabeth was proof of that for Mary. And then notice her permissiveness. Her permissiveness. What an incredible response from this young woman. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Wrapped up in these words is something mind-boggling and incredible. What do we have here? We have a teenager. We have a young woman who had so many plans and dreams, and hopes. She's got marriage on her mind. I don't know what 
Joseph's last name was, but she might have been, you know, signing her name in her little notebook, you know, Mrs. So-and-so. Right? She had marriage on her mind. She had all these hopes and plans and dreams. She was looking forward to having a home of her own. And she was looking forward into becoming the mother and the, uh, the wife. And she's got marriage on her mind and God steps in with pregnancy. Think about it. Elizabeth was married. It was an impossible situation. It was an impossible answer to prayer. But Zacharias and Elizabeth were married already. Mary was not married. She was betrothed. She was in that year-long period. But she and Joseph had not come together as husband and wife yet. They were not married. And should... I mean... When all of this came out in that day, infidelity and adultery and all those things was a capital offense. It was a big deal. It would bring shame not only on Mary, but on her entire household. Should Joseph choose mercy, she would still be disgraced at best and her whole family with her. And yet she says, be it unto me according to thy word. And there's a principle here. The root of Mary's character is that true faith produces true obedience. When God drops in on you and changes your plans, your response to His leading is a direct proof of your level of faith. Because true faith produces true obedience. When God moves in your life, it often shakes up your priorities. It often interrupts your plans. It often changes the big picture that you had. All too often when God steps in on us with a message or a task, we cringe. Even now, uh, some of you might have your guard up thinking to yourself, where's this message going to take me? and What kind of decision am I going to have to make at the end of this thing? I don't want to commit too much to the Lord. He might take it seriously and ask something big. Because as American Christians, we do church backwards. Because what we like to do is adapt Jesus to fit our life. We want religion, but we want it on a schedule and a checklist and even rules to live by so that we can fill in all the blanks and know what's expected of us all the time and never be tossed a curveball. We do our best to give God parts of our lives that we hold on to the rest for ourselves. And we don't do this on purpose. This is subconscious and unintentional. But we sit in the seats on Sunday and we nod amen and we go right back to where we were on Monday because we're just checking off the boxes. And we have here an example of Mary. Just, you know, I'm a father, so just a kid. Still in high school, if you will. And here she was with a wedding coming up, a family to start, a house that she was looking forward to run. A Jewish woman in that day was preparing her whole life for this moment. This was the culmination of all of her hopes and dreams. To be a housewife was everything in that day. And all of a sudden, God was calling her to do it backwards. She didn't argue with God. She doesn't even act like a martyr. 
She doesn't lament all the things that she's going to have to give up to obey the voice of the Lord. She doesn't say, well, I've sacrificed so much to be a servant of the Lord. and She doesn't do that. Be it unto me according to thy word. She understood something because of her faith. She understood that being used of God is a privilege to be enjoyed, not something to be worried about. Be it unto me. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Mary understood something that we often forget. Your life is not your own. My life is not my own. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that those of us that are born again, our life is hid with Christ. It's not our own. We don't own it anymore. We've been bought with a price. God does not call us to be religious. He doesn't call us to check off a list and pencil Him in when we are free. What is the number one commandment? Jesus says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And Mary, even as a young woman, understood, Behold the servant, the slave of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. We have here two examples of responding to God's message. Zacharias and his wife have been praying for a child for so long. And then when the angel showed up and said, your prayer is heard and it's going to be answered, he couldn't believe it was really going to happen. This is what Zacharias wanted. This was everything that they had hoped for, and yet... He didn't believe that God would really do it. He doubted. And I don't want to be too hard on him because he was a good man of faith. But we get like that sometimes too. We pray like we believe God. We talk like we believe God. But if we were honest with ourselves, we're skeptical. We doubt Him too often. We want proof. We want God to make Himself... Have you ever heard this? I just want God to make Himself real to me. It's the same thing. The same thing. Show me a sign. He's real whether we feel like He is or not. And Zechariah, when his answers, prayer was finally answered, show me a sign. And then Mary. Mary wasn't looking for this at all. This is not something she was praying for. She didn't want this to happen. She wasn't looking for this kind of interruption in her life. And in one message, in one message, in that conversation with the angel, her entire life was forever and drastically changed. She faces that message with humility and willingness and obedience and joy. And she knew that God could do what He said that He would do, and she was excited to see it happen. She said, how, how exactly is this going to happen? Because I, not everything's in place for a baby here. But she believed that God would do it. But her greatest desire was ultimately met because she was just happy to be used by God to do something incredible. Be it unto me according to thy word. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Her faith drove her obedience. Her obedience ensured her part in the birth of the one and only Savior of all the world. Which are you? Zacharias? 
for Mary. Do you have faith? Do you have faith like Mary had? I'm just, I just want to be your vessel, Lord. I, I want to be your servant. Whatever you ask of me, I will do. Do you have religion? Or is your life hidden Christ? 100% His to do with as He sees fit. Do you trust God to be in charge in your life? Do you really offer Him full and complete submission to His Word and to His will? Be it unto me according to Thy Word. I'm going to ask the pianist to come and play number 816, Have Thine Own Way. What an incredible example. The example of prolonged prayer in Zechariah and Elizabeth. But then also the example of incredible faith. That even if God changes every hope and dream I have for my life, I'm happy to serve Him.